Today's sermon is entitled Slave and Free. We are going uh, we are going to be in Genesis chapter 19 and then we're going to turn to Galatians 4. So some Old Testament and New Testament today. Now, here is a here is a thought. Keep this in mind. It says because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a son. That's okay, guys. You are the bride of Christ also. So God sends forth the spirit of his son, Jesus Christ's spirit into us, and we become adopted. We've heard this phrase before. His kids and her kids, haven't we? Blended families are are almost the norm. And with care and concern, they work. But sometimes, and I've I've heard I've heard way too many conversations, well that's your kid or that's his kid. You know, it's a shame whenever whenever families can't be joined, blended together, and be harmonious. Because sometimes, you know, it's it's hard. You know, there's maybe there's resentment from uh, from a divorce. Maybe there's sorrow because of a, because of a death, or something has happened. But many times, those ones who suffer are the kids, and they generally have the least to do with it. Now today we're going to look at a family that, well, they didn't blend, they didn't blend very well. So let's go ahead and let's turn into uh, Genesis chapter 21. And uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 7 to begin with. The Lord visited Sarah, as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And she conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Abraham called... Uh, uh, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, and add your blessing to it. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We see here, I love it when a plan comes together. That's an A-team reference for those of you who are catching the black van there. God makes his promise. Abraham remembers the covenant. And Sarah is happy. Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I think that's why we could subtitle this uh, this sermon. But we see God had given a promise, had given a prophecy to Abraham. And he said, no, it is through Sarah that you're going to have a son. You're going to call his name. You're going to call his name Isaac. And the promise is through him. And we see what happens here. Abraham is faithful to the covenant. What does he do? He circumcises his son. Uh, he names him the name that he gives. And when we take a look at this, we see that even Sarah is happy. Life is good because they are following the plan. We are following the plan that God has laid out. And, you know, one of the things that's important, we look at this, is that 
Isaac and Jesus share a whole lot, uh, share a whole lot of resemblance to each other in Scripture. Now, really, when we look at the patriarchs, there's probably we'll find out here in the next couple of Sundays. There's not as much written about Isaac as there is about Abraham or as there is about Jacob or any of the other patriarchs that we look at. But he is the important one because he is the child of promise. And he is one through who the whole world is going to be blessed. Now, if we look at the similarities between the between the promise, uh, the promised sons. Genesis 17, 16, God says, he says, I will, I will bless her. And moreover, I will give a son to her and I will bless her and she shall become nations, kings and people shall come from her. The promise of a son. It was a long time in coming. Then we see in Isaiah 714, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. We see here we had to wait hundreds, uh, hundreds and hundreds of years for the birth of Jesus. So both Jesus and Isaac, we see them as the promise, as the promised sons. And during this time, God even gives his assurance. Remember, when, uh, when God came and he reinforced the, co- the covenant and the promise, well, you know, uh, where and Sarah's outside kind of giggling when she hears, what, I'm going to have a child. <clears throat> she did better than Abraham because he fell on his face laughing. We'll remember that. But here's what God said. Is anything too hard for the Lord? We see something very similar spoken of when whenever the angel Gabriel came to the came to the Virgin Mary and said, hey, you're going to have a son. And she says, how is this going to be for I'm a virgin? I've never known a man. And the angel reassures her very much in the same way that God did. It says, for nothing will be impossible with God. So we see that God gave assurance to uh, to both of the both of the uh, both of the mothers. Also, we see at Isaac and Jesus. Notice it says it says you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him. So Isaac is named beforehand, and then Jesus and then the angel the angel comes uh, the angel comes to Joseph and he says you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. So we see that Isaac is the, is the son of the promise of the covenant. And Jesus is the, is the son of the covenant. The covenant being, the covenant being that all the world will be blessed. And so we see here that it be, uh, Isaac is the beginning of that covenant. Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Isaac is laughter in Jesus. Jesus is salvation. And you know, it all came about with God's timing. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son at the time which God had spoken. Paul tells us in Galatians, but when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. See, God has a timetable. It's different from ours. But God speaks what is going to happen? God is faithful to his promise and he'll fulfill it no matter how long the interval, no matter how long the time. And so we look at there many similarities between uh, between these two, uh, these two men in the Bible. But we have, well, there's trouble in paradise. Told you about the blended family. 
And the child grew, that's Isaac, and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom, had bo- uh, whom she had bore to Abraham, laughing. We take a look at that. Oh, trouble in paradise. Ishmael. By that time, he was somewhere. We're not exactly sure. Somewhere between 13 years of age and 17 years of age. We see he's laughing at the at the party that they're that they're having. And it makes Sarah mad. And, you know, if we look at what the Bible, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, it says it talks about that there was persecution between between uh, between Ishmael and his little brother. Old Testament doesn't tell us about what it was. But we see that Sarah, she takes a look and she is unhappy. Remember the subtitle that we have, the alternate title there? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Mama wasn't happy. So what happens? She gives an ultimatum. Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Notice what she's upset about. Isaac is supposed to be the son of promise. Well, we see Ishmael is the first, is the, uh, was the firstborn. And so in her way of thinking, this oriental way, is that somehow that this older, this older child is going to replace her son, her child, as the heir. Not just, hey, I want him out of here because he's being mean. That was one thing, my, my, uh, my younger sister and I, we still have sibling rivalry. It reared his ugly head at, at, at you know at at, my, you know, at at the time that we were together. Matter of fact, she she looks at me. and She says, "I'm not going to let you hang around my daughter anymore." She was joking when she said it. <laughs> she goes, "She picks up your bad habits about picking on me when you're around." Sibling rivalry, a little bit more than that. But what Sarah saw was the idea that her son would be replaced as the heir of everything. That everything that had been promised. And you know, that's the thing that we have to realize. God's promise is as good as He is. We get ourselves in trouble whenever we doubt God's promise or whenever we think we can help God's promise along. And you know what? We're guilty of both of those, aren't we? Many times we look at what God has promised and we think if we can do a little bit here or we can do something over here. God is as good as His promise. Faith in God is that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. Well, Abraham, he didn't want to get he didn't want to get rid of his son and he was pretty upset about it. But we see that God speaks. And what does he tell him? He goes, but God said to Abraham, do not be displeased because the boy uh, because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah tells you to do. Do as she tells you, for through Isaac, your offspring will be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because she is your offspring. Now, I I want you to kind of put that put the term in slave woman kind of over here on the side of that. You're thinking about this because, you know, when we first looked at, at Hagar was introduced, Sarah says, take my maid as your wife. 
And it even says, and, you know, and, and Abraham took Hagar as his wife. There's been some trouble in paradise, hasn't there? Because she has been, she has been demoted from being a secondary wife to now she's a slave girl. So keep that in mind. Now, what happens? Well, I think Abraham could have done a little bit better in what he's doing here. So, so Abraham rose up in the morning and took bread and a, a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and sent her away and departed. And they wandered, and they wandered the uh, wilderness of Beersheba. Took bread and a skin of water. Doesn't sound like much provision, does it? We think about that. Hagar was not a field servant. She was not one who kept, who kept a flock. She was a woman's maid. She was the helper to an older woman. The idea of her going out, of her going out into the wilderness by herself with her maybe teenage son, and so we see, well, something very predictable happens. It says, when the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under the bushes and she went and sat down opposite him a good way off about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, do not let me look on the death of my child. And she sat opposite him and she lifted up her voice and she wept. Sometimes the situation we find ourselves in. Now remember, the angel of the Lord had come and spoken to Hagar and said, I'm going to make a nation out of your boy. Here she is. Sometimes it is hard to see the promise of God or in the midst of a crisis. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God is still God whenever we're going through loss. Whenever looking around here, here she is. I'm, you know, she's she's a she's a girl who probably could cook and clean and fetch and carry for her mistress, and now she's out in the middle of nowhere with an empty water bottle and no bread. And she's saying, "What in the world am I going to do? We're going to die." What happens? Ishmael prays. Here's what it says in the Bible. It says, and God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven. How do we know that Ishmael prayed and God just wasn't hearing, hearing the voice of a, of, a cry, of a crying teenage boy? Abraham had taught Ishmael what he should do. How do we know this? Well, he kept the number one, he kept the covenant. Number two, God had this to say uh, to say about Abraham in Genesis chapter 21. Excuse me, Genesis chapter 18. He says, I have chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So Abraham taught his son righteousness and justice. And so God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of the Lord called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is up, lift up the boy and hold him fast in your, with your hand. 
for I will make him a great nation. Once again, we know it here. The angel of the Lord shows up. But what does he do? He speaks for God. This is what we call a Christophany. Jesus Christ before has always been and will always will be. And this time he's appearing to a poor little slave girl in the middle of nowhere with some comforting words. I will make him a great nation. They didn't say, okay, hey, I've heard you and there's water on the way. Hey, here I heard you and there's, there's food coming. I've heard you and I'm going to make him a great nation. And the Lord opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and she filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Sometimes we all need revelation from the Lord. The Lord has the solution to many of our problems. Sometimes we can't see them because we are so focused on the problem. We don't see the solution. Anybody ever find yourself in that position? So focused on the problem. God has a solution. Yet because I'm so focused in on the problem, I can't see the solution. The rest of the chapter goes on, talks about Ishmael and the, his descendants. God keeps his promise. Ishmael is the son, is the son of Abraham. And he is blessed with a, ble- with a blessing from Abraham because of that. Which is one reason why we should support missionaries to the Arab world. Because all the sons of Abraham need to hear the gospel message. Not just the Jews, but also those of Abraham's son, the son of the flesh. Now, I want to put something to you that I think we can probably imply from the scripture. Ishmael learned from Abraham But do you think that Hagar was neutral when it was talking about, well, the way Sarah had treated her? Or the way that this new baby was going to be the heir? You see, children are usually a product of the way they were raised, aren't they? I imagine Ishmael probably heard the complaints of his mother. She also probably told him the promises that God had given. But if Ishmael mocked his younger brother, if he persecuted him, if he found, if he, if he made, if he made, if he made Isaac's life a little bit more miserable, I'm sure that that was a product of how he was raised. You see, because Sarah, Abraham, had decided that God needed a little help in fulfilling the promise that God made to Abraham. Hey, take my slave girl. Take her as your wife. Now notice what we have here. We have the degeneration from your wife to your slave girl. And this is because it's a work of the flesh. This is because some, you know, God didn't need help. And sometimes we feel, you know, hey, let me just help God out. Maybe we don't put it those words, but we decide, hey, and you know, if, if, 
If you find yourself trying to help God along, especially with something that you're pretty sure is not God's not God's will. I don't think Abraham prayed very long and said, God, should I take a second wife? I don't think Sarah prayed, oh, Lord, I'm old. Should I give my my servant girl to him? No, God was not consulted in those. And because we have dysfunction in the family. And you know what? By necessity, then, there has to be a parting of the ways. Because what had happened was that they produced conflict in the family. We have the promised son, the golden boy, and we have the son of the flesh. Oh, do you not know that Ishmael knew that Isaac was the heir? And especially in that culture, can you imagine how upset it is? Here it is. There's this little little bitty baby, little bitty baby born. I'm the oldest son. I'm the one who should be the head of the family. I'm the one who should who should uh, t- you know take up Abraham's staff and and lead and lead the family. Conflict because of the free woman, the one whom God had chose to be the mother to be the mother of the child of the covenant, and the bondwoman, the one who had been chose. To help God along. Now, when we come to this in the New Testament, we take a look at this and we're going to look at an allegory. This is an allegory of the new covenant and the old covenant. Whenever you are studying your Bible, my friends. Whenever you find something mentioned in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we have to take a look at what both of them said to be able to draw from that what God wants us to take away. So we're going to take a little bit in uh, in Galatians chapter four. Our New Testament take on this in Galatians chapter four, verse twenty two and twenty three. For it was written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to according uh, through the promise. You see, we always have a choice in decisions, don't we? We can choose the promises of God. We can choose the righteous way. Or you know what? The fleshly way. The human way. There is always a choice to make. We need to figure out which one is God's choice. Is it the human way of thinking? Or is it God's way? Does it line up with what God's word said or is it just what we think might be a good idea? And we have to realize this, that the two are always going to be in conflict with each other, just like in that dysfunctional family. The child of of this bondwoman and the child of the free would always be at odds. Paul tells the Galatians, he says, now this may be, this may be interpreted allegorically. These two, uh, these women are two covenants. One from Mount Sinai, bearing a child for slavery. She is Hagar. Now we take a look, no, it's just, we take a look, these are allegories. Which basically means that it's a story that teaches. It's a story that has a spiritual meaning in it. 
And so when we look at this, that there is more to the story than just a dysfunctional family, but a, a warring, a warring set of ideas, the way of the spirit and the way of the flesh. What do you say that Hagar, she represents the way of, she represents the way of what was of the law. Now, we don't have that. We don't have that uh, that type of problem now as Christians, but we have our own set of problems. The law, it was seen as the works. Here's what you have to do in order to approach God. We have this written code that uh, the Israelites had to follow. You know, it was they had the, the civil law. They had the and God's moral law and they were had you know, both of them were intertwined. And so it was the keeping of the law. We see that they had different observances that they had to do. You got to do this. You have to do that. You need to appear in Jerusalem this time. And what had happened? It leads to slavery. Legalism always leads to slavery. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Oh, we're not, you know, we're not. We're not, uh, you know, talking about the Old Testament. We're not wanting to keep that. Hey, we're New Testament Christians, but you know what? We as Christians fall into slavery of a legalistic way of looking at what our responsibility to God is. You see, the way of the New Covenant, the way of Sarah, but the Jerusalem above is free, for she is our mother. We do not have to approach God. With the blood of bulls and goats. We don't, we don't have to clean up our life. Stop cussing. We don't have to do all these things to come to Jesus. We come to Jesus free. Now, our mother is the new Jerusalem. Our mother is, our mother is, is Sarah. And here's what, it, here's what we see in this. My friends, we are saved by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Sarah is, a, is the Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem of, the, of the sky, of the new Jerusalem. Hagar is the old way. Because of Jesus Christ, we have sonship with God. We're not a child of a lesser mother. We're not a child of the slave, but many times we find ourselves putting ourselves in our own set of chains or allowing others to put chains on us. You are a son of God. Jesus has paid the price, which makes a relationship possible. And because that relationship is possible, my friends, you need to learn to live by the Spirit. Now, one of the things that's going to have to happen is you're going to have to get rid of the old way, the legalism, the old way, the idea that we have to do things to be that we have to do things to be be acceptable to God. The only thing that we have to do is repent of our sins and come come faithfully come before Him and say, "Lord, please forgive me." Somehow people add so much more to that, and they, add, they, they equate living by the Spirit by living by a, a, a set of rules and regulations. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. You are a child of promise. 
Think about that. Your relationship is now that of a child of promise. You're not a stepchild. You are God's child. Think about what that means. You're not like Ishmael been cast out. You're like Isaac. But you know what, my friends? You have to get rid of the old way, the old thinking. It's flesh versus the spirit. But just at the time when he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. Legalism always opposes grace. Have you ever heard anybody say, you can't be a Christian and X, Y, Z. Here's this list of things that I have. And if you don't measure up to it, you're not a Christian. Flesh versus the spirit. You are a Christian because you are saved by grace. You are accepted into the family of God. And it is not a matter of you doing enough good things to merit God's favor and God's grace. You have to cast out the bondwoman. You have to cast out the old way of thinking. You see, even before you were a Christian, you knew that, hey, I, my life is not good. I need to clean myself up. I need to do this. I need to do that. That's legalism. Admit you're a sinner. Accept the grace of Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and turn towards Jesus. Old versus the new. That's a Tesla on top there. Maybe some of you know what that old rusted one is there. But you know what? It's a much better way, the new way, than the old way. You see, because the old way ends up being the way of the flesh. Think about that. If you're trying to keep a set of rules and regulations in order to be accepted of God, it is, it is the flesh that you are basically feeding. Something that says, I gotta do this to be good enough. You see, the Spirit is given to you at salvation. And you learn to walk in it. Old ways versus new ways. You see, God gives you a change of heart. His Spirit energizes your mind. And you have to realize that those old thoughts that come back to you need to be cast out into the wilderness. Those thoughts that say you're not good enough because you lost your temper. Those thoughts that say, you know, you're not good enough because, you know, you, you, you haven't attended church long enough. You're not good enough because you're not doing something. You're not good enough because of whatever. And many Christians are bound to the old way. That old way is a way that says that I have to, that, you know, that I have to perform good. I have to be, it's performance based. God loves you because you're his child. God will perfect you by the Holy Spirit. You don't clean yourself up. And certainly someone else doesn't clean you up. But the Spirit does. You are no longer a slave. But you are a son. No more works of the flesh. Now, you get the fruit of the Spirit. Spirit lives inside of you. 
Spirit wants to be, wants to be productive in your life. But you know, as long as you think that somehow you have to keep ginning this stuff up, or you listen to somebody saying, you know, you're not a good Christian because X, Y, and Z, those are the ways of the flesh. That's the bond woman. That's the, that's Ishmael. And you know what? Ishmael needs to go into the desert. It's God's will. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. We have to put behind the old ways. We have to embrace the new. Not the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the spirit. And you know what? My family... I want you to understand, God wants to give you a new way of thinking. God wants to give you that new heart. God wants you to be fruitful. But you know what? God will empower you with what you need to be all that God wants you to be. Because God wants you to be the free, the free child. You are the son of God. You have been, you have been, uh, you have been adopted into the family. And God wants to give you what you need to have through his spirit. Not through us trying really, really hard. Don't be a slave. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, what Paul was talking about here was these, you know, these Jews had come up from, from Jerusalem and they were trying to, they were trying to get the Galatians to, it kind of could be reformed Judaism and all that. And it's like, no. No, Christ has set you free. Don't submit to a yoke. Don't submit to a burden. Even though we're not, we're not tempted to become reform, become reform, reformed Judaism, we have to realize Jesus' yoke is easy and his burden is light. Not a yoke of slavery. Jesus' yoke does not begin with you're not good enough. Jesus' yoke does not, does not say, you know what, you have to perform this before I'll accept you. Jesus' yoke fits on. Doesn't chafe. Is made for you. And for the work that he wants you to do. My family, you are good enough. How do I know that? Because you have accepted Jesus Christ as your savior. And if someone tells you, well, you know what? You can't be a Christian if you. Your. Your secure place in the Lord. Is not determined by how good of a Christian you are. It's at your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't add anything to it. That's what a lot of us try to do. Paul would say, if we walk by the Spirit, we'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires, for the desires of the flesh are that against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh and are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. Don't add anything to your Christianity, to your salvation. 
Have you accepted Jesus? You are good enough. Don't listen if somebody tells you you can't be a Christian if you do X, Y, Z. Let me tell you, you are a Christian because you repent of your sins and you follow Jesus. How's that? Don't let anybody tell you that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy, because you're not following a particular set of rules. Now, I know that the Bible gives us guidance and guidelines in all in all circumstances and situations, but you are saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. You're not called to work your way into heaven. You're called to produce fruit because you're a part of Jesus Christ. My family, I want you to walk in the newness of life. In what God has for you, not adding anything, not taking anything away, but be the children of God. Cast away the old ways of doing things and serve the Lord only. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for all that you have done to us. Now, Lord, would you bless us as we get ready to take communion? Lord, use your Holy Spirit, Lord, to convict us, Lord, of anything that we have done, or that we may stand pure before you.